0: all right welcome into the patriot speed podcast on the clns media network your leading online provider for audio and visual content we've got evan lazar here and evan uh this is a quick turnaround this one's a tough one it's a review preview sort of episode um we're going to look back on the charges a little bit because you had a chance to look at the film on monday and jump ahead to the rams which is happening at warp speed obviously with the thursday night turnaround so let's dig in uh first observations you saw i know we were on the post game show gushing about the patriots defense uh and their game plan which at the time you viewed as a fairly simple approach uh to defending uh Uh, the Chargers and the Chargers passing attack, which had been terrific. But, um, you know, now that you looked at the film, any wrinkles you saw, anything you saw that you thought, oh, wow, that really was something?
1: Well, in the front seven, it was pretty simple, you know, stunt schemes, things like that. The back end was not simple at all. This was a graduate level course by the Patriots on how to spin the dial on a young quarterback. And what we saw from New England's defense was – Disguise coverages, you know, showing one structure before the snap, rotating into something else after the snap. They actually played a decent amount of quarters coverage in this game, match quarters, uh, which is, you know, really called cover seven, uh, where the defense has those two deep safeties and kind of deploys them in different ways. One of the ways that I posted on Twitter recently was just – cutting off crossers in the middle of the field and bracketing hunter henry the chargers tight end and all of that it was made possible in a lot of ways what they did was made possible by the fact that stefan gilmore can take keenan allen one-on-one on an island without safety help in the middle of the field and shut him down so a lot of you know great exotic coverage rotations really confusing justin herbert they only rushed uh They only blitzed him five times. So basically what you were seeing was him holding on to the football and being forced to hold on to the football – by those post-snap coverage rotations and it just was enough of a pause in his process that they were able to get to the quarterback from there so really impressive coverage game from the Patriots and I think oftentimes when we watch the TV broadcast you focus in on the line of scrimmage right and the pass rush and what the guys up front are doing and they deserve credit certainly for playing a really good game up front but in the back end that's where all of the sort of scheming and Belichick wizardry really was in this game Uh, they really spun the on
0: Herbert. Yeah. And again, one of the reasons we spent so much time on it is you've always known that the secondary is capable, but it was just remarkable to see such a sustained pass rush, particularly from the players uh, who were doing it, uh, because it just isn't something that's been a regular occurrence this year. Getting pressure is such a big deal. And it really does kind of set the tone and set the tempo for everything you're able to do defensively you can't get any pressure at all uh you can't you, you really can't defend on the back end as well so yeah confusing herbert having him hold on to the ball and then getting to him much faster than they were all contributing factors uh defense is not sexy evan so we're gonna switch to the offense um it, it was a second straight cam newton sub hundred yard game obviously Because he's the quarterback, he's going to get a lot of attention looking at the film here. uh, Did he leave anything on the table? Anything mechanical you saw here that contributed? We saw a couple of low throws, a couple of misfires, um, a couple that even went for completions. But just looking at his entire tape, what did you see?
1: Well, I think what we're seeing, and I wrote about this just now, is just we need to embrace this offense and what it is, is that it's a run centric offense. And I think what we were seeing out of Josh McDaniels in particular, he deserves a lot of credit for scheming it up in the running game. We've talked a lot about the last couple of weeks, defense is playing eight guys in the box with low safeties and kind of keying on that run game. So what did McDaniels do this week? He, realized that they needed to come up with ways to even the numbers back up and so he used option runs he used the wildcat formation a couple of times he was able to get Situations where the Patriots were seeing an eight man box, but because of Cam's legs, they were able to even up the numbers with him being a focal point of the running game. So, they also, what I thought was really smart is they watched the tape of that Buffalo game and saw Joey Bosa just absolutely dominate the game three sacks, right. seven quarterback pressures. I think he had three tackles for loss in the run game on top of all of that, forced a fumble. So, they made him the read defender on all those option plays. So, he's just sitting there trying to read out Cam Newton. And instead of getting up, the field and blowing them off the ball he was kind of left in no man's land trying to defend the option play so really smart kind of wrinkles there by McDaniels to put Bosa in conflict throughout the entire game and then the last one that I kind of went over in that post was the RPO package with the two running backs which was just really awesome you have Sony Michelle and Damian Harris on the field at the same time and the Patriots are running RPOs rpo bubble screens mostly where they have a trap run on the inside and then a bubble screen on the outside and cam is just reading that overhang defender to the weak side of the formation and he's able to kind of decipher should i hand it off or throw it out there they haven't thrown it out there to the screen yet i'm waiting for them to get that look, to be able to do that. But I just think it's really cool to see how McDaniels is saying, okay, this is what we are, right? We're not going to be this prolific downfield passing attack, especially with the way that Cam's throwing the ball right now. So I need to scheme it up. I need to figure out ways to make sure that this running game can still go, and that's exactly what they were able to do.
0: Okay, so that's what they did. But I do want to know. And again, it's not
1: you're going to put me on the spot with the question. I get it. I yeah. Get it. But
0: look, I mean, this is the question because here's the thing is, you know, when they do what they do, when they can, um, uh, you know, impose their will on the opponents, come up with, as McDaniels did in this uh, game, creative schemes to be able to run more effectively, which we've seen other teams take away. Uh, by loading the box, bringing the D-backs up, not respecting any sort of pass, having everybody close to the line of scrimmage, which does limit your ability to do some of the things. So this was a necessary adjustment for McDaniels. But again, you're just going to, when you need to pass, you've got to be able to do it. When you're down against the team, uh, if you have a difficult time uh, running the ball against this Rams front, are you going to be able to throw? And we'll get to the Rams a little bit later. But it's those games when you need it, you want to know that you have it. So obviously every single dropback with cam is going to be scrutinized is he is, is that's
1: is, the problem though his
0: footwork, his his mechanics is he seeing things is he because we talked about it in the game Evan he actually did recognize pressure a little bit quicker on some some of the plays yeah. that we, we thought uh, so really it comes down to it wasn't necessary but if it were, what version of cam Newton did we see here when he was asked to pass?
1: Well, I thought that he saw the field decently well, and I think he's making solid decisions with the football. The timing could be a little bit better, and there's certain instances where I think the timing is more of a factor than others. For instance, the deep ball to Demir Byrd on the double move, the pressure really was a factor on that play, and and he had to slide up in the pocket to avoid the pressure. But if he doesn't have to slide up and he's able to throw that ball on time, then that's probably a touchdown or at least a more competitive play, right? Instead of two guys being all over Demir Byrd at the catch point, he's behind the defense he probably has an opportunity to catch that ball the other kind of issue that i i kind of see with the timing is on the short throws you know james white's production and inability to affect the passing game has really uh, hurt a lot because of cam and I, I don't mean to put it all on cam but when you see James White run routes out of the backfield. He's the type of guy that you need to get him the ball sooner rather than later. You can't hold the ball and then throw the ball to James White in the flat because if the play is designed to get James White one-on-one with somebody in in space on the outside, on the boundary, then the ball needs to get into his hands sooner that so he can read and react and make a play and make somebody miss. So you saw that third down play on the opening drive where they ended up having to go for it on fourth down. Cam just waits an extra tick it's just an extra tick it's literally half a beat and because of that half a beat by the time James White catches the ball and turns upfield, the DB is right on him right and if he is able to get the ball out just a little bit quicker then James White has some time
0: 15 20 yard game right
1: yeah. he has some time to shake somebody and, and elude a tackle or just run through the angle or whatever the case may be so those are the little things that you see with Cam's timing and the tall timing of the entire operation that when you only throw the ball 19 times, and you start to count, you know, okay, you have the missed deep ball to your bird, and there was a crossing route to Jacoby Myers that was a really tough throw that Cam just missed by like an inch or two, and you have to make that pass, because and you have to make the double move work with Bird, and you have to get James White the ball sooner in the flat, and these little things, these nitpicks, truly they are nitpicks, folks. We, you go watch other quarterback play, and it's not, it's not all sunshines and rainbows for the other 31 teams either, and I think we get too caught up in the minutiae of oh where is his feet and you know his shoulders are flying open and his hips are doing that and he's not pointing towards his target and this that and the other thing I think it's too much conversations about those little things and not enough conversations about the big picture things which is really just timing and kind of understanding what you know your answers are that type of stuff that I think is more important probably than all the little minutiae like the throwing mechanics and things like that.
0: Yeah, and we talked about this last week, uh, this underrated quarterback skill of of being a dink and dunk quarterback it's 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 such it's there's such negative connotations behind it but the the precision that it takes and the timing and the placement all of those things is the difference between four yard losses and 15 yard gains sometimes and those are big plays potentially uh if you hit them right and and being able to do that within the rhythm of this offense it is difficult seeing uh obviously James White be neutralized because there's not a lot of playmakers on this team, and he is one. So finding a way to get him going, I think that really goes hand-in-hand hand with Cam being able to do this stuff. Uh, the other quarterback we got a glimpse of. And again, let's just go over We've saw Stidham come into the game in a blowout scenario um, uh, with the Patriots obviously comfortably ahead. And uh, the Patriots let him throw. They, they ran their offense, uh, at least in the beginning, which I think was a good idea because you did want to see – him actually play in a real game situation two of three uh 61 yards the touchdown pass 38 yarder to Gunnar Olszewski let's go over them throw by throw here okay uh first off let's start with the incompletion I didn't think that was really a bad throw that was a really catchable ball by Harry uh it was a long developing sort of play I don't know whether you thought Harry could have cut that off a little bit sooner and come back uh so it wasn't as much of an underthrow as it appeared on TV but just, I, to me that looked like actually it wasn't a bad throw and certainly could have gone for 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 a, a good a, like a good size completion
1: right so on the right side of the line on that play michael Onwenu and Shaq mason failed to pass off a stunt and joey bosa comes through on the
0: him in his face right
1: right in sitem's face and i think the biggest thing is is that on that route it's a burst corner out we've seen jacoby myers run it a bunch julian edelman used to run it a bunch and now they let Nikhil harry run it in this situation it's a longer developing play right so you have to have some protection you're trying to throw the ball down the field you're trying to hit a a kind of a it's almost like a double move because you're you're the initial route and the route stem is a deep over right and he's going to run that deep over he's going to sell the crossing route and then he's going to break on the corner right so it's a longer developing route and they have to allow the protection to be able to hold up in that situation i thought nikhil harry actually ran a pretty good route the top of the route could have been a little bit cleaner maybe he could have gotten out of the break a little bit quicker right. and uh, the footwork at the top of the route remains an issue for him but you know but up until that point, he ran a really nice route and I posted it on Twitter and kind of explained, you know, his ability to get off the line of scrimmage, a little hesitation move, the ability to kind of limit surface area and get up the field. And then he re stems at the top of the route and stacks the defender and kind of fakes inside and out and is able to get open. And then I think what you see. With, with stidham is that that play the ball ends up a little bit behind him because of the pressure you know i don't know maybe they could have they could have been a bit a little bit of a better throw but circumstances are what they are similarly to the bird deep ball i would say it's kind of more about timing and everything sort of working together not necessarily right. placing blame on one person so that that throw was that sony michelle made a nice one-handed catch actually right.
0: that wasn't a great throw but sony of all people really did a good job hauling that in
1: Yeah, so he got he uh sent a one handed catch um and then made the guy miss and I finally looked like a a guy in the passing game that could actually do some things now. I mean, what a pin
0: in that one. We're coming back to Sony, but go ahead, yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, you know, he didn't create a ton of separation in the route, but he was able to make the catch and he was able to get up the field. The gunner play, I, I don't know why the chargers reacted so hard to the fake, but they the whole the whole secondary just Flew to the screen. That was, to that was a simple
0: little play there. And again, yeah, that, that, yeah, that was a surprising, I, I can't believe that went for a score.
1: It was a nice sell. It was a nice little pump fake by Stidham. Kind of moved his shoulders and just pumped it just a little bit to get the defense to bite. And I think that that's the type of throw that you look at and you say, okay, Cam probably still hit gunner. But does he hit Gunner in stride and will lead him up the field so that he can make the deep safety miss and score on the play? I, maybe he does. You know, we don't know. He, he hasn't necessarily made that throw very regularly this year. They haven't run that concept with him all that much this year. Obviously one that Stidham is comfortable with, so that's why they, they dialed it up. I, I think what you see with Stidham, though, overall, he was a guy that does throw – and we say it all the time, whether it's practice, preseason games, whatever – throws a pretty ball, you know, he throws a really nice ball, but I think what you're, what you saw in the first part of this game, which is really where the game was won and lost was running a system and running a scheme through Cam Newton's legs that it's just not available to you with Jared Stidham. So if you get into a Stidham led offense, do they have the horses? Do they have the, the, playmakers around him to have a pocket passer again to have a guy that's just going to stand in the pocket and scan the field and try to make throws down the field and not really use his legs as much he, he can scramble a little bit he can maybe be you know cut you by surprise with the read option type of play or something like that but that's not his game right that, that's really not his game so i i wonder If they went to a guy like Stidham more often, if they went to Stidham, you know, full time, would he have the playmakers and weapons around him to be able to be productive? Or do they need to be this style of offense with Cam Newton running things with his, you know, with his Sure. And, but, part
0: the and we talked about that after is in a different with a different set of personnel. If this is a team that had receivers and Cam was having a difficult time getting to them, you might say this offense would run better with more of a classic passer. However, right. they don't. And so you need the running when you eliminate that, you're eliminating such a huge chunk of the offense. The question is, if you let's say you had one of these bad cam games okay and cam wasn't great in the second half of this game but he didn't need to be but let's say you had a bad cam game like uh like two weeks ago against arizona where they won in spite of him Uh, and it's obviously not going well and they go down two scores is there a world in which you could see that game bill belichick looking at a sideline and saying stidham is the guy who can lead us to victory more so than cam
1: I think the question really boils down to Stidham is, is he going to clean up the decision making and the turnovers? Because if you're still going to get all those interceptions that we've seen all the turnover worthy plays you know that was one thing I wrote about in the offseason when it looked like Stidham was going to be the guy is that everybody talked about that Detroit preseason game and how great he looked and how great he was against the, the Lions you know third and fourth stringers and stuff like that and it was it was a good game it was a good game on tape it was a good game but then you watch preseason games two through four two through four and you saw a lot more turnover worthy plays putting the ball up for grabs interceptions you know bad decisions with the football and that's sort of where i get into the question marks of okay you know is yes we see some of the high level throws yes we see that he can throw the ball down the field probably better than cam newton at this stage but does he have that can he get out of that rut of turning the football over and putting the ball we grabs?
0: don't know that No, no but if you're the coach and again it's always that that hype hypoth- when we play these hypotheticals it's what would you do what would bill do and the two things don't necessarily uh jive with one another. Right. but who do you think personally would give the better chance on a game where cam is not getting it going with the passing offense and they fall down a couple scores entering the second half and you know they've got to start to throw Are, would you personally still think ride it out with cam because stidham's too much of an unknown or do you think we need to sling it a little bit here instead stidham might be the guy
1: you know, it's funny because I think that there's, and I don't want to get too much into this like two quarterback thing because I think that it's it's probably unsuccessful in the NFL. It
0: was mentioned at the in the preseason. We, yeah. we spent a fair amount of time on yeah. an idea of two quarterbacks situationally dependent.
1: It's interesting to to get into that conversation of if the Patriots right. find themselves in a must win game, maybe it's again next week against the Rams or the week after that against the Dolphins, and they get down two touchdowns. You know what what happens then? You know, do, do they look at it and say, well, if we're going to have to pass our way back into this game, then, then maybe Jared does give us a better option there than Cam. But I think one of the most important things that we definitely have to point out here is that Cam's leadership and the way that they gravitate towards Cam Newton in terms of his locker room presence and just on-field presence as well is definitely a factor here. It's probably as much of a factor as his on-field play because this team has bought into Cam Newton. They believe in him. They believe in him as their starter, as their leader of this team, and and people gravitate towards him, and his energy has been infectious. So as much as that type of stuff is, you know, maybe like, it, it, maybe it's lost on a lot of people. You know, I know if you turn on nine eight five, I'm sure Felger is saying, you know, "I'll stop it with the energy and the leadership and all that kind of stuff." But I'm telling you that that is that does matter because it, it puts sort of hope and and a kind of belief into the team when Cam is out there because he is Cam Newton. I, I, it's it,
0: it it so it's funny because the energy is one thing, and I actually think way too much attention was devoted to it at the time because ultimately you can provide us all sorts of energy but if you go out there and you suck people will stop kind of feeding off of that however it's uh, abundantly clear that this team feeds off of cam newton okay and that cannot be overstated from the hit he took last week against arizona got back up how they took exception how much it inspired the rest of his teammates to the nicknames to making everybody feel comfortable and again not everything's a referendum on grumpy old tom brady but i have noticed in almost everything that we see both on the field and when we're uh in these zoom interviews and with the team and what they're like right now the vibe is totally different because i think for the first time ever you have a team that isn't top down under the pyramid the umbrella of tom brady you do it my way or get the f away from me i don't have tie don't suffer fools i don't have time to baby or coddle you i'm not your coach you get it we can play together you don't i don't have time for you grumpy, serious, dour when things aren't going well, uh, upset about it. It's like having mom and dad disappointed with you. You feel bad. You go to bed and you're like, geez, what did I do wrong? You can't do that with younger players. And Cam doesn't do that. He takes accountability for his mistakes and he pats people on the butt and says that they can get better and shows full support, both in how he interacts with them on the sideline, in the locker room, on the practice field, and how he speaks about them in the media. That has to carry a a lot of weight with these guys, especially ones who might have felt kind of like, I hope I don't do anything to make Tom mad. And again, it's not negative towards Brady. He's a 42-year-old guy, or he was last year, and – he just didn't have time or patience to be doing this S anymore. You know, he was at the point of his career where that wasn't going to be his thing. He was more of a rah-rah guy earlier on. But this is what Cam does. It cannot be understated.
1: Right. And I think that that's definitely a big part of it, too, is that it's just Cam's locker room. Let's and they
0: sure like each good. other, too. And right. they, the 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 camaraderie between the players now that you've allowed the identity to be not just about one person it is Cam but these guys get to kind of be themselves you got Damian Harris and Olszewski hugging in a Zoom room in the post game yeah. you know and just the way that they talk and they're proud of each other and they speak about each other in different ways it is a totally different vibe.
1: It really is. And I, I think that that combined with all the things that they're starting to do scheme-wise with the run game and the RPOs and the different things that Josh McDaniels has done to say, okay, if you're going to put eight guys in the box and you're going to play with low safeties and we're going to run a speed option play and we're going to make sure that Cam is a part of the run game, that's going to be a factor for you. So your eight-man box is now obsolete to us because we're, you know, have eight guys as a part of the scheme between the blockers and the runners. Right. So I think that that's what we saw a ton. Uh, on Sunday was just scheming it up in the run game to cover up the fact that they're going to have teams play eight in the box, that they're going to walk their safeties up to the line of scrimmage and do all that kind of stuff. And the passing game, again, I come back to that just minute tiny little margin of error that we're seeing where every little inch of grass is inspected, right? Like every little step he makes every little mechanical thing, every little decision, every little block, you know, and pass protection, when you only throw it 19 times, it's just not a lot of volume to get those things right consistently over and over again. I don't think any quarterback would consistently be able to hit throw the ball down the field with that small of a sample size, because it's, it's really difficult to do to just be able to string, uh, you know, 19 yep. plays together of good passing. It's, it's not easy, especially when you have little, you know, breakdowns here and there from other parts of the offense.
0: Yeah. And it is interesting. And again, whether you're you know uh a, a Brady stand now and forever or rooting against him this year because he left you the the uh, the, the karmic forces at work here are are, are 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 interesting because Brady left a situation where no one around him could ever do anything good enough to be in his presence to going somewhere else and every single time he does something <laughs> that ends up in a negative play he gets called out by his coach publicly so uh some of that some of the chickens are coming home to roost there i do want to say hi to Nikhil harry who always joins us uh we're convinced it's the real Nikhil uh here on the chat um and just to remind everybody who is on the chat and hi Nikhil, uh we're going to talk about you a little bit here uh People tend to be a little mean when we do, so don't take it personally. Um, Everybody out here, I see some questions coming in. We're gonna talk about the Rams a little bit and then we are gonna take some of your questions as well. So keep them coming, we'll be scanning the feed here and we'll be putting those out there shortly. Um, Two quick things before we move on. Uh, Nikhil, Harry, since he's here, we'll talk about it. Um, We talked about whether or not we saw a glimpse of improvement. Again, we're, we're looking for small things when it comes to Nikhil. And I did think in, you know, in trying to utilize his strengths, a red zone threat box out receiver, um, you know, again, we'd like to see a few more, uh, you know, high point sort of situations, back shoulders, contested throws and this and that. But it seems like that is the type of thing we can get out of him again, looking at tape and looking over whatever it is he did. And again, he's now clearly number three on this de- on this depth chart uh, behind Bird and Myers. and. Uh, you know, you have uh, Moncrief nipping at his heels, but he didn't pass him in this week. We don't know how long that's going to continue. He still outsnapped Moncrief by a considerable considerable margin, but that's not not a certainty that that's going to continue this way. Uh, your thoughts on Nikhil's Sunday performance. I want to hit on one more thing after this, and then we're going to move on to the race.
1: Right. So I think the interesting question about Nikhil is that when I watch him play, it's clear to me that he looks more comfortable inside the formation than out on the outside on the boundary at like, you know, X or whatever the case may be. When they bring him inside, whether it's in the slot or kind of like almost like a flex tight end alignment, you know, right off the end of the line, those types of alignments are, seem to really favor him a lot compared to what he does on the outside. And we saw that play that we broke down with Jared Sidham earlier in the pod. Just that was a nice route. You know, it wasn't perfect, but that was about as good of a route as you're going to see out of Nikhil Harry. Then similarly on the touchdown, they have him at a condensed split where he is playing on the backside, but he's in tight to the formation. So that gives him a little bit of space to operate. And I think the main thing that you saw is that maybe he did see hear Michael Irvin say, you got to run through people at your size. You can't be a dancer, right? You can't be the ballerina trying to you know, go in and out and, and try to get around defenders, right? You need to be a go-through-the-defender type of guy. And we saw him on the touchdown go through a guy. We saw him on the almost catch from Jared Sinem go through a defender at the line of scrimmage with a little hesitation release and then he's just up the fields right it's none of this dancing at the line of scrimmage it's none of this trying to shake guys and move them off their spot it's just right up the field and I think that's what you definitely need to see more out of Nikhil Harry moving forward is let's get away from all the dancing and all the footworking stuff I love you footworking you're, you're still the man but let's get away from some of that a little bit and let's get into more of just right off the line of scrimmage up the field using your size and the guy that i would watch if i was Nikhil harry is gronk go watch some old gronk tape and watch how gronk just he knows he's six foot seven 265 pounds he knows nobody's gonna body him right so you just got to use that size just be a big guy just play to your size play to your strengths be big Get up the field, box guys out, use your frame, all that kind of stuff. And I think that too often we get caught up in the minutia of the footwork and the route releases and the breaks, and you know, just get up the field.
0: There are some people who do have that problem, like, and that's the thing to look at with a guy like Nikhil. He because when you play in college, when you're used to at a high school level and then in college, being so physically superior to people that you can just uh, run by them. You get used to doing that yeah. and you don't recognize that but I'm big but you don't need to, you know? Yeah. It isn't you're not fighting for your space against some of these people the same way you will at the level. Um, and and that's almost like a big man in basketball. You're used to being taller than everybody, you'll develop no other skills. Right. So Nikhil has to use the skills that he's got at his disposal uh in order to be a big player. he does not play anywhere near his size. And again, I don't know whether it's as you said, the focus on the thing he doesn't do well, the footwork, and to improve on that because that's what he needs to do to a complete to be a complete receiver or just say, I'm just going to be a bully and I'm just going to run down the field. I'm going to body you out of the way and run in a straight line and I dare you to stay with me. And when the ball goes up, I'm going to go up and get it over you and that would be beneficial. Uh, another person I want to talk about is uh, Sony, and we mentioned it on his catch. Uh, and uh, He kind of falls into the Nikhil first-round disappointment Uh, situation which they're not in the same category we've yet to see really anything out of harry through almost two full years now even though it's only about 16 17 games and sony has been productive though not maybe first round level star that you were hoping however in his last couple of games i mean let's just look at what we've seen. He rushed for over 100 yards on limited carries against the Raiders, went away, and then came back here. And he's looked okay in limited action uh, when he has gone in there to spell Damian Harris, who clearly is running uh, with the ones. The the thing that's interesting to me is, in addition to that catch uh, he had, which was a really good catch, uh, he had two receptions against the Raiders in his last time out here as well. And one of the things we've been losing our minds over with sony is he was supposed to be really good at this coming out of college and we saw none of it and when they did try to involve him in the passing game he couldn't do it at all so i guess the question is can sony catch now and they could i mean and i mean might he slot into more of our i mean if he can do that uh, that's great. And all of a sudden you're talking about somebody who legitimately could make a difference for you. It would be great if he could slot into the Burkhead role, but possibly be even more explosive or, uh, you know, uh, more of a weapon than Burkhead was doing that thing.
1: Right. And I think the cool thing about it is with Sony is that now you have him and Damian Harris. And I mentioned those packages where they had him on the field together. Yeah, Harris that can both run it inside, both run it outside. Well, maybe not Sony outside, but you can both run it inside, and you can be a little bit more versatile with Damian Harris. You can run it inside, outside, catch the ball a little bit, and stuff like that. So I think that that's really where this iteration of this offense is going, is that you can get into that sort of two uh, running back package and have two guys on the field plus Cam, so really three guys, that can carry the football. and Just a handoff type of situation. Then you can get into RPOs, you can get into read option type of plays, and it just really you don't know you know kind of where the ball is going to go in those types of situations that you're the defense and it's a lot of reacting to it instead of just being able to fly up the field and get after the ball so I think that's like really was Sony the one thing though that stands out to me when I watch him on tape and you just watch him versus Damian Harris there's one uh, one of Sony's handoffs that he was running right the line opens up and there's space there along the sideline if he can kind of burst into it and get up the field and he just doesn't have that gear that Damian Harris has right he doesn't have that turbo he doesn't have that NOS where he can just kind of hit the gas and go and that's sort of the difference I think between the two running backs Sony the, the, the whole kind of collapses on him he gets I think he's still gain positive yardage, but it's not a big play. Whereas if Damien Harris gets that same hole, he's accelerating through that hole and he's into the secondary. Yeah. And those are sort of the differences that you see in the two backs. But I think the the value of it is, is that you now have two backs that can run inside the trenches that can get downhill, that can do things off of their power schemes and trap schemes and things like that. And you have that ability to have two guys out there at the same time, potentially that can do it. And there's all sorts of motions and and. RPO packages and different sort of things that Josh McDaniel's can get into.
0: Yep. Um so let's put a bow on um on the on the on the Chargers game but uh definitely some things we saw that I think could carry over long term. Uh but the turnaround is so quick quick here and again so much focus on the offense here because uh this is going to be a game where the offense can either move the ball a little bit or not at all. Uh so let's start Start there and then we'll get to uh, McVay and Goff and what the Patriots might have yeah. to worry there because I, I think, as worried as Patriots fans might be uh, that they can't move the ball on offense against this Rams defense, I think McVeigh and Goff aren't going to sleep one second this week um, yeah. after what was done to them in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. But let's start with the offense. Uh, what are they going to need to do to move the ball against this team?
1: It's a good question because this is a really good Rams defense. Uh, they brought in uh, everywhere. Yeah, they, they, their new defensive coordinator, of course, his name is, is escaping me right now. I, I will uh, look it up. Uh, Brandon Staley, of course, coming over from Vic Fangio's system. He runs a lot more zone coverage, I would say, than Wade Phillips did. It's a little bit different. It's not exactly the same. Uh, they run a, a decent amount of cover three and quarters coverage in the back end. Um, some of it's probably match type of stuff, especially on the outside. as sort converts into man-to-man in certain situations. But they're going to bring a lot of pressure at the quarterback. And I think in terms of the running game, what you really have to do – against a team like that is is let them get up the field, and I think that there's some of the schemes that they used against the Chargers will be effective against uh, the Rams as well. The draw plays, you know, they did that uh, extended draw with uh, Jacoby Myers kind of faking like he might, you know, jumping up and down like the ball's coming to me, maybe on a double pass or a screen or something like that, and then they, they get that ability to then, uh, you know, get those linebackers off, the, uh, off those run fits and, and get back into the passing game, and then they can run it right up the field against them. Those types to draw plays, wham plays, uh, speed options, things that you can put maybe Aaron Donald in conflict and get him frozen like they did with Joey Bosa. Those are the types of ways I think that they're going to try to run the football against the Rams. It's a defense and, and Donald's the type of player that is really wants to get up the field and shoot gaps and make a, get penetration and make tackles for loss and things like that behind the line of scrimmage. So if you can use some of that aggressiveness against them, then maybe they have that ability to open up the run game as well.
0: Okay, just want to let everybody know that this segment is powered by BetOnline.ag, our exclusive online wagering partners. NFL football, of course, marches on unimpeded. Uh, A few surprise teams at the top of the standings, and while you might not be at a game this year, you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. No matter how the schedules change or which players play or don't play, BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every game this season with the fastest updated odds in the industry. There are always more options to wager than anywhere online trust me that's true head to bet online today take advantage of all the great bonuses offers contests that are going on throughout the nfl season bet online your online sportsbook experts so moving on to the to the and again the reason i think the patriots will be fine in this game it's just going to be a question of can they score enough is i don't believe i i'm not a i'm not a, a a golf guy um
1: I don't think anybody's a golf. Anybody's
0: guy. really a golf guy, but I I just think that Belichick's going to absolutely. I mean, he he's been living in his head for three years. I I still think he has the room uh, and he's got the key, and he wants to jump back in there and stay the night. That's what he's going to do on Thursday. And I do wonder with McVay. I mean, this was again to revisit the the Super Bowl, a manhood robbing experience for for McVay, um, who really should have been able to do something different and didn't and it was i mean as as big a coaching mismatch on such a large stage as we've seen there in terms of what the patriots decided to do and how the rams just could not crack it and so he's learned from that but it's also a different rams team which means they're going to be defended differently than they were there but then it was fill those gaps don't let Gurley give him any room to run there and have everybody on that front and force it into Goff's hands, and he couldn't do anything. This is a slightly different team; they don't run the ball as effectively, and you're not as worried about that. So, what do you think the Patriots have in store for 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 this for this Rams offense?
1: Well, the Rams offense is a complementary system where. They marry the run game with the pass game extremely well. So everything looks the same, right? Everything before the snap, they have the same splits for the receivers. They run everything out of 11 personnel. They run a lot of wide zone, still outside zone rushing attack about 50% of the time. That's their base, a lot like the 49ers. But they do it differently than the 49ers. They don't have a fullback. They don't have a tight end as dominant as Kittle blocking. So it's just a much different sort of kind of way of getting into some similar schemes like outside zone so I, I think the biggest thing is what you see with the rams and what the patriots were able to do in the super bowl is basically treat it as two different you know kind of structures almost right where the six guys or seven guys in the box their job is to stop the run and then the th- four or five guys that are going to be dropping into coverage their job is to be able to stop the pass and the play action so if you can stop that sequencing of run 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 play action uh running schemes off of play action that look a lot like the running plays that they run if you can stop that sequencing from happening on first and second down and take away those big plays then you're able to kind of mitigate this offense and then it gets into traditional drop back passing on second and third and long where Jared Goff is going to have to read out a defense and read out a pressure and be able to set the protection and know where his hot is or know where the pressure is coming from and the Patriots were able to kind of confuse them that way so the structures the Patriots use in the Super Bowl a lot of early down quarters I don't know if we'll see as much of that again this uh this year this time around maybe a lot of three buzz which is just taking looking look like quarters two guys deep rotate one into the box and get into a cover three structure so that that's what they did a ton of against Jared Goff and they were able to kind of get in that first and second down be able to limit the Rams so that that play action sequencing with their run game sort of went out the wayside and then Jared Goff had to become a drop back passer and beat them in a way that he can't really beat them the other sort of difference I would say about this Rams iteration versus the one that made the Super Bowl is Goff is not throwing the football down the field nearly as much as he did a couple of years ago. He's actually one of the lowest uh, passers in the league in terms of intended air yards down the field, right around where Cam Newton is. And we talk about how little Cam throws the ball down the field. Goff is in the same category. So a lot, a lot of you know, just kind of training wheels for Jared Goff still at this uh, you know point in time, which is pretty crazy to think about this deep into his career not throwing the football down the field uh, really being a very conservative passing offense similar to the Patriots so well, it, it's a different scheme in a lot of ways because of that because they're not really taking the shots they don't have the Cooks down the field and stuff like that That they're having no, Super Bowl.
0: you don't you've got better underneath receivers and you do downfield yeah. threats on this team who are carrying the water and again with golf it is what it is I think it's been very clear with him is he can only do so much uh and usually only the 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 he can really only run the play uh I think you confuse him a little bit uh it's you know and that's that's really why you want to put it in his hands you want to make him very
1: similar to the 49ers offense it's a system right it's a system it's it's everything married together it's very well disguised very well put together and orchestrated by Sean McVay but when the Niners
0: were fast
1: yeah, they were fast and physical. You Faster, know,
0: they, more they physical. They got
1: Juszek, they got Kittle, they got Debo, who's a big, thick guy. Yeah. This Rams team is not is not the same as that. So I'm really fascinated when this chess match, uh, getting into it with Bill Belichick and McVay, is you know I thought McVay, based off of what I had seen out of this offense, uh, had done a little bit more power runs, you know, pulling guards, man blocking, right. not as much as the zone stuff. And then I pulled up the the analytics on it, and actually they're still very heavily a wide zone team so, so do they get away from that a little bit that's are they my question
0: to is it, seeing what happened to mcveigh knowing yeah. that this for him personally must be a pretty big game to prove that he actually is the boy genius or the guy who can hang with the great and i, I again i don't know how much this would influence your decisions heading into a, a, a an individual game but if I'm mcveigh i would think i've got it i've got to throw some wrinkles here if i come yeah. With this same stuff, I'm gonna, we're going to get eaten alive. And so would the Patriots be prepared for the wrinkles, potentially?
1: Right. That's that's I think the difference is, you know, they go six one against the, the Rams again to stop wide zone and the Rams start pulling guards and getting up vertically up the field against that type of front when you're one gap and you got everybody on the line of scrimmage. There's nobody home, right? once you get through the line at that point, there's nobody home at the second and third level of the defense to stop the runner. So can Sean McVay keep them off balance enough where they can't just, you know, crowd the line of scrimmage with guys in wide edges and things like that. I do wonder if this is a game, too, where the Patriots, because the Rams don't really play much with a fullback, they're not the diners, right? They're not a downhill wide zone scheme. They're much more about smoke and mirrors and, and motion and all that kind of stuff. Maybe this is a game where we see Kyle Duggar in that overhang role that we saw against Baltimore, where they kind of run more of a compact type of tight front is what it would be called in college. But they have a guy like Kyle Duggar out on the edge, that's going to force the ball back on the inside. Maybe that's how the Patriots go about it, knowing that McVay might possibly run some more power type schemes. It might throw some different wrinkles at them that they didn't see the last time around. That That's that's the difference between the great coaches and the ones that beat Belichick and the ones that don't are the ones that say, okay, this is what we normally do. Bill's going to know that, and he's going to have a game plan that's perfectly crafted to beat what we normally do. So let's do something totally different, and it's I, so, I do see if McVay is capable of it.
0: So few teams do it, even knowing this, entering a game. If I do this stuff, you know, how many Pittsburgh teams have rolled in here with – You know, all star personnel everywhere, and they just run, they just do the same thing. I mean, there's so many teams that just have their system. You've got your Harbaughs, your Reeds, and very, very few people who can really scheme it up uh, game to game when it comes to fate. It's a big one for McVeigh. Take some questions Um, on this one. Bigger threat, Woods or Cooper? I would imagine John Jones follows Cup around, uh, and then Woods, to me, I can't see, I mean, yeah, I, I assume it's a Gilmore situation, but again, it depends whether the Patriots yeah. try to throw some wrinkles in there too. But if you're matching up straight up, I would imagine those are the matchups there.
1: I would think so. I think that they're gonna, you're going to see a lot of match quarters and, and match cover three. So I think there is going to be a little bit of zone coverage. And I know Patriots fans say that and they're like, ah, you know, they stink in zone. They, they don't stink in zone. They're a pretty solid zone coverage right. team as well. And really what it is is that when you get into zone coverages, it's a lot easier to disguise at a zone than it is at a man. Because, man, you just your head up on everybody. It's pretty easy to see pre-snap, okay, this is man coverage. Whereas with zone coverage, they can really spin the dial with their safeties on the back end and close the middle of the field or play quarters or do whatever they want to do. So I think you're going to see a decent amount of zone when they do man up. I expect it to be Stephon Gilmore on Robert Woods. And then if Jonathan Jones isn't good to go because he did get hurt in that game against the Chargers – Then I would think that you might see some sort of bracket or some sort of cut coverage on Cooper Cup where they're, you know, basically bracketing him inside or out based off of, uh, you know, different safeties coming down and trying to take away those inside crossing and things like that. Uh, That would be my guess is that the scheme is sort of focused on Cup whereas Gilmore it kind of takes Robert Woods uh, one-on-one on an island, a lot like what they did last week where Gilmore basically took Keenan Allen in single coverage for most of the game, and they schemed it up to take Hunter Henry and Mike Williams and the backs out of the passing game. Uh,
0: let's get over to uh, Julian here. Um, Asi Asi, um, we did see Keen. um not doing a lot. He threw a block or two, I thought, that, um, uh, you know – he showed up a little bit, but we did see Dalton Keene. We haven't seen Devin Asiasi. Uh, there's still some guesswork here as to what's going on, but what, what, what's what's your take?
1: Well, I know Asiasi's been dealing with this ankle injury all the way back to training camp. He It was an injury that carried over from his last year at UCLA. Then he tweaked it in training camp, and it's sort of been an issue for him all year, lingering issue he made the trip so he's out there in california yep. uh, he's also from california so I, I maybe they let him make the trip so he could go back to his hometown to you know see the folks and stuff like that i'm not sure but I I don't know if we're going to see Asiasi the rest of the year because they're really an offense right now that only uses one tight end at a time. And do they have sort of, they're going to have Jakob Johnson active, obviously. Ryan Izzo, if he's healthy, is going to be active. So do they have the need to have three tight ends active on game day? If Keen has sort of leapfrogged Asiasi on the depth chart, at least for now, as the healthier player, then I I don't know if they're going to have enough room on the active game day roster for Devin Asiasi.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I would say um, a debate raging on the uh, on the uh, on on the thread right now is whether or not the Patriots can win um, passing for sixty nine yards or eighty five yards, whatever it was the week right. before. Um, that is interesting. Again, can you beat can you beat the KCs of the world? Um, Pitt, you know, I, I I still don't know what I think of Pittsburgh. Right. I, they seem like paper champions here with their record, and obviously they lost to to the to the WFT on uh, on Monday, but uh, your thoughts can is this sustainable? Can you beat the top teams in this league with this with this approach?
1: I think so. If you're going to be this good at running the football, I think you can. And I think we get too caught up with and passing yards and passing metrics and fantasy football stats that ultimately not, not to go full Matt Chatham on everybody here on the on the on the show, but I think ultimately a lot of that stuff doesn't decide what wins and loses a game and we can harp on the 69 passing yards all you want out of Cam newton they won the game 45 to nothing i I don't think it really mattered all that much that cam only threw for 70 yards 69 yards if they were in a closer game then they probably would have thrown the ball more and he probably would have better statistics than what they what he had so to me with the passing game is not necessarily more volume more counting stats or anything like that it's just maximizing the opportunities that they do put out there right so when there's an open receiver you got to hit them when there's an opportunity to push the ball down the field you got to hit them right and that that's the difference is okay if you're going to throw it 19 times i can live with that i can run it 45 times it would be fine as long as you can run the football well enough but can you maximize those dropbacks? and i think that the other thing is is that we are really sort of losing sight of this Patriots offense actually having a pretty darn good stretch of play since really week eight. We're on a six-game run now where the Patriots are top five in yards per drive and on EPA Mm -hmm. per play, and they're averaging over 24 points per game on Mm -hmm. offense and skipping out the returns on special teams and the pick sixes and all that kind of stuff. So – we're getting really, really caught up in the passing yards numbers for Cam Newton. And yeah, it, when you see an NFL quarterback go through a game and only pass for 69 yards, it, it's alarming, right? You're like, how does that happen? This isn't high school. But I think that really you can be able to win here. I, I think that it's a point, it's a possibility to be able to win moving forward like this.
0: Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um Question on Julian Edelman. Uh, What is your best guess, Evan, here on when he's going to return? And we know he's trying to. There was another question on this thread about what if we see him at all this year and if we don't, uh, will we ever see him in a Patriots uniform again?
1: That's a good question. You know, like Julian Edelman injury, remember when uh, Kevin Garnett got hurt in the 09 season and everybody was like, he's coming back, he's coming back, and he never came back?
0: Well, he did, but he was – A a, a very diminished version of himself. Oh, in In, that season he did. Yes, right. Yeah,
1: in the playoffs. Oh, he's coming back. He's coming back, and he he never came. That's unfortunately. That's sort of the feeling I'm getting with Julian Edelman because his clock is ticking. Right, like you know they're running out of time to get him back on the field. So I I think that he's trying to get back out there. I think he wants to get back out there. You know, Julian Edelman's a big time competitor. But I, I just don't know if there's enough time now. For him to get back out on the field and then ramp it back up to be able to be game ready in the what month of the season that we have left, it's going to be a big ask. And I,
0: I think people. if anyone can, he will, because he'll need the least amount of time. And I think he can get by than most, than most people can with Guile alone, even if he's not physically close to 100%. I think if he can, he will, but that's my opinion. What yeah. about future, Evan?
1: Yeah. The- this right. is the biggest
0: concern is right now. The assumption from talking to medical professionals is this is an arthritic situation. As you know, that doesn't get better. You try different things, different treatments, injections, things like that rest. But ultimately, you're in a bone on bone situation in most of these cases and you're just in pain and it's uncomfortable. We've now seen it uh with uh, with uh, Dustin Pedroia having yeah, some the
1: injury itself sounds a lot more like Dustin Pedroia, just in terms of what's structurally wrong yes. with his knee. And,
0: and that, that doesn't get better. You can sometimes kind of gum it up a little bit or shoot it up and play right. through pain, but it is a mess you hear Again, football players have to do it once a week. So I do think Edelman could theoretically gr- grit it out, but for him to miss time, like he did had to mean it was excruciating to the point that he couldn't do a thing.
1: Right. I think that that's the biggest thing is just time at this point. You know, they only have, whether it's four games left, and he has to get back out on the practice field. He's not going to play this week on a Thursday night game. So he's got to get back out on the practice field, ramp it back up to full speed, be able to go on Sunday and then get into the game plan and get, you know, get into that type of situation too. So I don't know. It's a lot of that to ask in a short period of time at this point.
0: And you also have to look at, um, you have to look at, I mean, Where the team is matters. Yeah, Edelman is a gamer. He'll do what he has to do to get back out there. But I don't think either party is going to view it as worth it. If you think there's any chance of him having a Patriots career moving forward to put him back out there. If you lose this week, for example, you know, right. if you go through the process, if you All beat right. the Rams and you're seven and six and you've got a 10 day lead up to the next game, maybe you think, okay, we're going to try to play him in two out of these three final games here. Uh, as long as we feel that we're in it. But if not, it just seems like something that's going to be um, just, you know, Uh, uh, A big league question mark. If he does return just to continue on it, would you see him in a really sort of limited um, special packages, third downs kind of uh, role as opposed to throw him back out there and put him out for 70 offensive snaps a game?
1: Yeah, I mean, they were even doing that, you know, maybe a lot of it was because of the injury early on in the season, but his snap counts were pretty significantly down relative to what they normally are. And I think that that's sort of where they could really use him is, okay, you know, third down, uh, red zone, fourth quarter, it's a tie game and you need a drive, you know, how how are you going to put it together? Those are the types of situations where I think that they could benefit from having julian edelman out there certainly and uh, his ability to run routes because if you get into three wide receiver packages for example and now you have julian edelman instead of Nikhil harry you know no offense to Nikhil, but that's just an upgrade i mean it's an upgrade in the passing game so you have that ability to to get into some better packages edelman myers bird maybe out there at the same time i think that that can actually be beneficial to this team and and what they do in the passing game. Uh, But again, it's just a question of, do they have enough time to ramp him back up at this point? Once he's been out for so long, get him into the equation, get him into the game plan and go from there.
0: Okay. uh, An off season question. We've talked about this here, but the jets uh, with their, uh, you know, you know, uh, blitz, you know, (laughs) Yeah, whatever it is that they did have almost locked up that one pick. Uh, not almost, eh, not yet, but it it looks like they're in, uh, you know, in, in QB land in the draft here. Um, right. and so that means it's it for Sham Darnold. Uh, and so he's been mentioned as a possible, uh, you know, guy for the Patriots, and I think it's an intriguing name based off of the pedigree and a feeling that was he just ruined by a bad coach, which is also entirely possible. And so you always want to see, and again, we've talked about this before too, Belichick is an excellent second drafter uh, in, in, in with people that they might have liked coming out who p- found themselves in situations where their talents weren't being utilized. And you've seen a lot of former first-rounders find their way onto this team. Uh, is someone like Darnold uh, somebody you'd be intrigued by? And in this question says, would you bring him on and keep Cam? I don't know about that because I think you got to start developing that next-level guy if Darnold isn't it. But your thoughts on Darnold as a whole and how that could work?
1: Well, I think it really depends on what the Jets feel about Sam Darnold because if they think he's any good in any type of viable starter, they are not trading him to the New England Patriots. Right,
0: right and that's the other problem. They're right.
1: not going to trade him in the division if they think he's any good. If they think that he's good, but he's just not as good as Trevor Lawrence, then you know they're going to ship him out west or somewhere, you know, wherever it ends up being, uh, to get him out of the division and get him out of even – completely out of the AFC potentially. So it may be Chicago where he ends up going or something like that. I think the other element to Darnold that I would worry about is that in college, and I, granted, I haven't watched a ton of Darnold tape this year because why would I watch the Jets and waste my time? But in college and at times with the Jets, creating in-structure has been a little bit of an issue for Darnold. He's a much better playground, play breaks down, finding options off of that, kind of off-script type of quarterback. So I'm not sure they would necessarily see him as a perfect fit in this offense uh, with as a guy that can kind of just run your system and run your scheme. He makes a lot of his great plays out of street. Structure And they probably, if they're not going to just re-sign Cam and roll forward with Cam, you would think that they would want to get a guy that was more system-oriented, that can just operate within the scheme, kind of like a Jimmy Garoppolo or you know a guy like a Jared Goff right now, and just kind of be that trigger man, that point guard. If
0: you're not getting Cam. If Cam is back, I think that the quarterback on your roster has to be somebody you draft early in this draft. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the guy that I would look at through the draft, if they're going to draft somebody early, let's say they don't make the playoffs and they end up picking, you know, in the early teens or something like that, Trey Lance is kind of checks every single box from a Patriot perspective, Good size, good arm, um, you know, experienced player at the college level. Those are the types of guys that the Patriots typically love. I know they absolutely love Justin Herbert, obviously, who basically checks all of their boxes. Trey Lance, not quite as polished as Justin Herbert, but similar kind of pedigree and and similar size and sort of measurables. So I I think that that's where you would look. Maybe a Mac Jones from Alabama is another option for the Patriots in the draft. But I I think if we're mainly going to talk about guys like that, then you're probably. Probably talking about a situation where you're bringing back cam as sort of that bridge guy and then going from there uh you know with the young quarterback and developing him behind him
0: and again it's not clear but i mean where do you think he goes trey lance
1: it could he could go in the top 10 i i don't know i think it kind of depends on on where I, I, saw I, mean,
0: mock draft, I saw mock draft had him seven to carolina the other day so i mean yeah. you know that's and again you're looking at that would be and he'd still be the as it, it, he could be the third quarterback off the board after lawrence and fields uh he's right. definitely in that kind of group with him and wilson um you know i think and,
1: there's the thing that you look and at and
0: then mac jones but i i mean there's a world in which you have to uh, five of those guys could go as high as top 12 even, yeah you know and that's
1: uh, th- that's, that's, the thing that's the worst case scenario. But there, it, Bill Perry like breakdown right of this of how recently, after we got through that like Blaine Gabbert period, where Christian Ponder, Blaine Cabbert, uh Ryan Tannehill, the first time around in Miami, uh, once we got through that era of early draft quarterbacks, we are now in like this like grace amazing period golden
0: age right,
1: golden age, right. Of, of Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson and for, even though I know people are going to point to Trubisky and some of the bus I'm telling you more times than not the teams that are drafting quarterbacks early are getting their guy and they're getting guys that are, are starters you know Josh Allen uh, you know uh, Deshaun I mentioned Mahomes I mentioned uh, we can go right on down the line even the guy like Baker is starting to play better again and looks like a, the part again it,
0: every team has one though and that's the thing right. you know, and each and almost in most cases, those teams have now ascended to a, a level of relevance, if not yeah. um, in the playoff hunt. You And you're right. You have the misses with Trubisky and Wentz now, potentially. Uh, but you've got Jalen Hurts coming up behind him. You know, yeah. so it's it, you know, it is interesting.
1: Right. So I think that the, the I guess the hit rate is the word is the phrase yeah. is much higher on those early round quarterbacks now compared to what it was maybe, you know, a couple of years ago.
0: Yeah. Uh, And again, a lot of people interesting here, but it would be insane for five QBs to go in the top 10, 15. It's not out of the realm of possibility. I'd say I have not seen too many mock drafts where I see the fifth quarterback falling below 15. You see them as high as in the top 12 or 13. Again, I think this is why there was so much angst when the Patriots started winning. It's, when they, when they won the Arizona game, they entered that week in the 12th position. The more that they win, the more they slide into potentially 17, 18, 20 land if they make the playoffs, and now you've got to trade up for your guy or you got to roll the dice and hope that you find one of these flawed projects. Not flawed, but – Guys, who you might be able to turn into something, but they are a year away, two years. Great
1: quarterbacks are going early and often in recent. And drafts. everybody
0: figured it out. There's two reasons why. One, it's not as punitive now. You can get these guys later in the draft, and you're not going to get buried if you have to move on after a couple of years. And you do see teams quickly pulling the plug and opting out of deals. We've seen it with rose and yeah. It's going to happen with Darnold. There's more of an exit than there used to be. Two. Uh, the 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 importance of the position's never been more evident. And three, of course, that controllability. You know, you go and spend draft capital capital on a guy and start him and pay him that versus. 30 what M- mike glennon money you know or like
1: and the other thing too is like, Cousins, uh, uh, Garoppolo,
0: franchise level record yeah. money for on any free agent who hits the market it is way too expensive to grab a free agent and the results aren't aren't there it's a proven losing proposition it's now proven that you need to get your quarterback in the draft and people know this so they're not afraid to pull the trigger
1: yeah, and the other thing, too, is that the NFL game is finally catching up to the college game schematically a little bit, yep. so you're seeing a lot more college-style schemes and a willingness from the and NFL athletes. to adapt, to athletes that quarterback, to maybe more air raid type of stuff and air raid type of concepts, throwing the ball down the field, uh, You know, incorporating RPOs into the NFL game now, just a lot more willingness from offensive coaches in the NFL to be a little bit more scheme-friendly to these young quarterbacks and not force you know a young QB come in to be Tom Brady on day one and, and read the field like that and go through a progression like that.
0: And again, name one right now across the league a, a quarterback who's who's playing and playing at a relatively successful level who isn't at least a good to not great athlete. There is, yeah. no, there is no one out there who is that stand-in-the-pocket presence with zero mobility whatsoever. I mean, this is what you need now. I, mean, it, I, I think Ben
1: might be the only one. What's that? Big Ben might be the only one. In
0: I'm saying who's – I'm saying who hasn't been successful. Oh, yeah. Right now, you're right. But, I mean, almost everybody – right, even like a Tannehill right now. With There's plenty of guys who move. You're right. Big Ben might be one of the few out there and Brady – Uh, who are just still classic passers, and that's all they do. But, you know,
1: Joe T's still trying this Rivers train with me. I love it.
0: Oh, Rivers. But, I mean, just just looking at teams drafted, Buffalo, Miami, uh, Jets is uh, certainly Darnold's athletic enough, though not a great athlete. Baker Mayfield, absolutely. Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Tannehill. All of these guys can move. Deshaun, this is just the AFC. Kansas City, Mahomes obviously can move. These guys are athletes, all of them. And that is essential to the position right now. And you have to go, you got to, you got to go, you got to go get one. You got to get one early. And and if I'm the Patriots, I would strongly consider moving as much draft capital as possible to move up and get your guy. If your guy exists, the problem is, wait, are they without a second or a third this year without a third?
1: Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think trading up for a quarterback, I see a lot of questions about trading up for a quarterback, I think turning up for a quarterback gets tough because the Patriots are not going to give up the draft capital necessary. They're not going to put together a six package, you know, a draft pick package to move up to take the quarterback. It's not they're not putting you know an RG three type of trade on the table or a Deshaun Watson or Mahomes type of trade on the table. Maybe you can get creative and like include a, a veteran player like a Gilmore. Or back
0: in the day, the Ricky Williams trade, the yeah. entire draft.
1: Yeah. I maybe they can get into like a, a you know Gilmore type of scenario where they trade their first plus Gilmore. Maybe that can move them up the draft board a little bit. But I wanna, you know, just harp on the fact to continue to harp on the fact to be careful what you wish for about getting rid of Stephon Gilmore. You know, JC Jackson's a good corner. I think that he's a good player. JC Jackson's not taking Keenan Allen on an island and shutting him down like Gilmore just did on Sunday or DeAndre Hopkins the week before. And that's the difference between those two guys is I think JC Jackson's a great ball hawk. Uh, he's a great cornerback in in his own right. I don't think that he's quite on that elite level of Revis Island, Gilmore Island, that type of situation. He's
0: not, but uh, keeping Gilmore is as much about his desire to stay as it is
1: that's totally true and in his age and just kind of lining up the next great Patriots team with his age right now doesn't really make a whole lot of sense but
0: Gilmore himself may may force a holdout uh, next year anyway so he might to me I think Gilmore is an automatic trade simply because I don't think he's playing for his current contract on the Patriots this year he almost didn't him next year, he almost did this year. Yeah, so I think
1: sure. you know if they're going to trade Gilmore, they're drafting a corner early. I'm just la- I'm just like warning uh, everybody about that now. They're not going to just trade Gilmore and replace him with JC Jackson and Jawan Williams. More, it's not happening.
0: Most likely not, but they have gotten by. And you're right. I mean, the value of that shutdown corner has been something that they've clearly seen since Talib, and really yeah. have recognize this is my maybe the most important position.
1: It's so much it gives you so much flexibility with the scheme.
0: Yes. It's yeah. the most I think they were among the first teams, Evan, who realized Corners might be more better, might be better value than than pass rushers. I think you play, oh, yeah. and and they that one lockdown corner allows you to do more than the one devastating edge rusher because teams can game plan for the edge rusher. The corner does what he wants to do. He just takes your guy away every single snap, every single time. He can neutralize teams' best weapons on their own, and it makes a huge difference with the creativity. So I yeah. agree. But it's, again, it's Gilmore I don't think is playing for this contract, and I don't think the Patriots are extending him. So I think you have to cut your losses and recognize you got to take something for him this off season. So I think that's going to happen.
1: That's what ultimately is probably going to happen, but it just, I'd be careful what you wish for. I just know that Gilmore is just so darn good. And I don't think that anybody on their roster is on his level. And if you let him walk or you trade him, I just see a scenario where that's going to be a, an issue. I, I think that that's going to be a problem for them is that they're going to have to, then they're going to not be able to get into, okay, you know, Gilmore's got DeAndre Hopkins over here that means that we can focus all our attention on Kyler Murray or Gilmore's got Keenan Allen over here so we can bracket hunter henry uh, and mike williams out of the game with our other guys Uh, being able to just put him on an island allows you to just do so many other things with the 10 other guys on the field so if they're going to get rid of gilmore then i think that they need to look for another cb1 upgrade i don't think it's just as simple as bumping everybody up a rig
0: it's not but sometimes you have to get a little worse some places to get better someone mentioned here jt he's really good on the run he's an absolutely complete player i will say um, one thing with, uh, with Gilmore, and then we'll put a bow on this edition, um, yeah. that Belichick is pretty good at getting out one year early rather than one year late In position. We're not saying we're seeing it with Gilmore. There's been some question over decline at the end of the day. He's still Stefan Gilmore and he still locks the, the efforts against Allen and Hopkins. The last two weeks show you that he can do it still at this level as good as anybody out there. However, when you fall off a cliff at that position, man, do you fall fast. And again, um, that's always the thing when you're reaching that age is it comes quick for those guys and then they no longer become someone that you can put anywhere on anyone and just set it and forget it. And once that happens, you do lose the value of being paid at that top dollar. And so it's possible a slightly reduced Gilmore isn't hugely different than a prime jc jackson in terms of overall performance but again right now there's no question about it there's a massive gap between those two in terms of what gilmore is able to do
1: yeah that's i just i don't know i see a lot of patriots fans that are just like oh just trade gilmore and and jc jackson's our number one corner problem solved right you know no issues there i i don't think i just don't think it's that close i don't think the gap is that close between those two guys and that's no disrespect to jc
0: I agree. Gilmore's a a different different animal here. So um, that's going to do it for Patriots Beat uh, for this week. Thank you guys for joining the chat. If you haven't already, uh, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's going to give you access to all that good stuff. Um, And every time we go live for either a Patriots Beat podcast or a Patriots post-game show, which we will have, of course, Thursday coming up after the game, uh, you will get notified. So, again, subscribe, Patriots Press Pass. Thanks for joining. Thanks for the chat. Read Evan Lazar, clnsmedia.com. And of course, subscribe to the Patriots Beat podcast as well. Uh, and get it, you get it wherever you get your podcast. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Does anyone do that anymore? SoundCloud. SoundCloud. It's everywhere. But subscribe to the Patriots Beat Podcast. Evan's bringing it once, possibly twice every single week. Uh, We will figure out what we're doing with this one, Evan. It's kind of a funky week with the Thursday night game, but I would expect something in the back half of this week as well. In the meantime, thank you guys for watching slash listening, and we will catch you next time.